Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Will the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus be with everyone gathered here on this campus, in the sanctuary, the Family Life Center, and wherever you may be gathering, uh, maybe far away from this place, we welcome you into this time of worship and focus. We welcome you into this time of study, the study of God's Word. And I want to begin with a passage of Scripture that will hopefully frame this next um, part of the series that we're in called Habits. And it comes from a very familiar passage. It's the 23rd Psalm. Isn't it a shame that sometimes we relegate this passage to funerals only? I mean, there's nothing like standing by a graveside and hearing the comfort from the 23rd Psalm. It undergirds us with confidence. But from time to time, we need to hear it in the context of the living, right? And I want you to hear this. And you know, you can't read Psalm 23. I'm a New Revised Standard guy. I do the message, New Revised Standard, NIV. I do all of them. But you can't read Psalm 23 in anything other than what? Yeah. So prepare for the reading of God's Word from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, the reading of the sacred word. It's reliable, and it can be trusted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, it is in the confidence of your company that we gather now. We gather in some ways physically here. We gather in many ways on a higher ground (laughs) through devices, computers, phones, through the internet. And yet we gather because of the confidence that comes in your company. Lord, there are many who have come into this time of worship and we have carried with us burdens that have become so heavy for so long 
that maybe many have forgotten what it felt like to actually be free. And our prayer is that you, once again, will lead us beside the still waters. Take us, O great shepherd of the sheep, to the green pastures. And may we be so comforted that we recognize we cannot remain in our comfort, but God, show us that in our comfort we are charged to comfort the world. That we are charged to be so transformed that we leave this place and this time in a way that is different than when we came. For the transformation of the world, for the sake of your kingdom, this is our prayer. Amen. Amen. Okay, I need your help with the beginning of our message today. I'm just curious if anybody knows. Um, it's a standard, oh, it's got a leak in it. It's a standard bottle of water, and I'd like to know uh, how heavy do you think this is? Go, how much? Okay, 16.9 ounces. Pretty close. It says 16.9 ounces. Yeah. Then I guess you add the plastic and the top and all that and the paper. Maybe a, another, what, half ounce, ounce on top of that. That's not bad. Whoever said that must have been a back row base. <laughs> but you just told me how, how much you, it weighed. So how heavy is it? Because to know how heavy it is depends on how long I hold it this way. Right? I mean, it is 16.9 ounces, give or take an ounce of plastic. But if I hold it this way for one minute, it's okay. It's not that heavy. That's about how much I lift at the gym. That's, it's, not that, it's not that bad, not that heavy. But if I hold it for 30 minutes this way, or, or I hold it until dinner time this way, well, then I, then I can't feel my arm. And it becomes as heavy as 100 pounds, Right? Because it depends on how long I hold it. And I just thought about that this week because it occurs to me, I know that there is someone in this hour of worship who has been carrying something for so long that maybe in and of itself it's not that big a deal because maybe you can carry one problem or two, but the multiplicity of the problems you carry and the, the longevity, the duration, the time that you've been carrying it you can't feel your arm anymore. And more than that, in some places of your heart, you can't feel anymore because of how you've been carrying for so long the same burden. And you suspect, if, if you could somehow figure out a way to set it down, you think, if, if somehow I can find a way to just release it, then you, you would feel free, right? You you would feel free and unburdened if you could just figure out how to do that. And that's what I want to talk about for just a minute. So in this series called Habits, we're talking about very practical exercises you can put in place every day to try to um, awaken your awareness that you are in the company of the one who brings confidence. You are in the company of the one who loves you most and knows you best. And in the midst of talking about practical spiritual exercises or habits, the one I want to suggest today that we consider is the spiritual discipline 
of simplicity. Simplicity. Are you ever around anyone who, when you're with them, there's a different kind of energy about them? And what I mean is, I don't mean that they're outgoing and they make you feel good and, and happy and they make you laugh. Those are fun people to be around too. I'm talking about, are you ever around anyone for whom it feels or it seems that there is not a burden on their shoulders? And there's not a care in their world. Or it feels as if they are not going through life with this grip on things. But rather, do you know someone with whom it just seems like they go through life with open hands? And, and it's, it's kind of like I, I use the phrase, a lightness of being. You ever been around anybody with whom there is just this lightness of being? And you're like, I want whatever it is that you have. Especially if I'm holding on to so many burdens for so long, what's the secret of getting to the place where it feels as if I am free? See, when you're around a person like that, you're seeing an outward demonstration of some kind of interior reality, aren't you? I mean, you don't just... You don't fake that kind of lightness of being. You can't just simply act that kind of non-anxious presence, right? It comes from some place deep on the inside, on the interior of life. So, you know, Richard Foster and the folks at Renovare, these are authors and teachers, spiritual directors and so forth. When they describe the spiritual disciplines, one of the ways that they define the spiritual discipline of simplicity It sounds like this. They say simplicity is the inward reality of single-hearted focus upon God and his kingdom, which results in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness, and which disciplines our hunger for status and glamour and luxury, right? Now, that's a, that's a pretty hearty definition, and I want to read it one more time so you get your minds and hearts around it. Simplicity is an inward reality of a single-hearted focus upon God and his kingdom, which results in the outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, unpretentiousness, and which disciplines our hunger, the hunger we all have for status and glamour and luxury, That is the spiritual discipline of simplicity, of learning to go through life in a way that is detached enough to actually be focused on the pursuit of God. If you want to boil that big definition, which I think is worthy of our consideration, down to maybe a simpler phrase, I'll just put it this way. Simplicity is an out or it's an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Let's just keep it that simple. It's an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Yeah. So what is that inward reality that I'm talking about? It's the inward reality of having a singleness of heart where the one singular pursuit of your life is the pursuit of God. The pursuit of the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. In fact, in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about what to do about a life that is overburdened. So when he's talking about anxiety, 
And Jesus is teaching about what to do when you worry about your life. And he says things like, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or what what you're going to wear. I mean, all these things, people typically worry about these things, but your father will take care of these things. So chill. It's basically not the King James Version of the verse, but just relax. It's going to be fine. And then it culminates in verse 33 of chapter 6 with this verse. But seek first the kingdom of God, singularity of purpose, singularity of vision, a singleness of heart. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. In the midst of an overburdened world with overburdened people on a journey that's so convoluted with so many responsibilities and stressors and anxieties, Seeking first the kingdom is the key to a life of simplicity. It's an inward reality that shapes an outward lifestyle. Now, what does it mean to seek the kingdom? Sometimes we use church speak. And sometimes if you've been around the church, you understand church speak. But maybe you're here today and it's the first time you've ever stepped into a church at all. And some of this language is so new, I just want to put it this way. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? What are we talking about there? Well, in the first century Jewish mind, saying the name God was, was, was not as popular with some sects of the Jewish uh, religion as others. It was not as comfortable. And so the, the language kingdom was often used to speak of God. So when you hear kingdom of heaven, sometimes you and I think he's just talking about heaven. Or when we hear kingdom of God, we think he's talking about heaven. He's talking about this way of life right here and right now in which you can know God. And God can know you. And because of this knowing, there is a transformation in the way in which you exist in the world with God and with other people. And that kingdom living, that way of Jesus, is characterized by a life of sharing and openness and welcome. It's a life of justice and a life of compassion and mercy in which all have and there's room at the table for any it's a kingdom in which you can forgive and be forgiven when you fail and fall on your face it's a kingdom of such glory that that words hardly can be wrapped around this mystery and yet jesus says that's the mystery that you should chase more than any other pursuit seek first the kingdom And then all these other things will be added. All the stuff that you worry about, the clothes that you wear and the food that you eat and where you're going to live and where you're going to work, how you're going to earn, all these things will fall into place if you have a singleness of heart about what you're up to in this world. And what you're up to is the pursuit of the kingdom, the pursuit of Jesus. Sometimes I've gotten in recent years to where when I talk to couples who are preparing for marriage, One of the first things I say in our first session, and then I end up saying it again in their ceremony, is this. There is something that you can do that I promise you will make you the best husband that you could possibly be and the best wife that you can possibly be. And it has very little to do with what books you read or what sermons you hear. It has very little to do with what your Enneagram type is or or what seminars or events you go to. All those things may help. So chase, go, look into them. But there is one thing that you can do that will make you the best husband and best wife that you could possibly be. And I say it this way. Pursue Christ. 
chase after Christ with everything that is in you. Because if you are chasing after Christ, attempting to find Christ where he is at all places, at all times in your life, then when you spend time with Christ, you'll fix your gaze upon the power of his presence. You'll pay attention to the reality that in Christ there is this character of welcome and love and forgiveness and grace and strength of heart and stability of mind. You'll see in Christ everything that is good and pure and lovely and right. And then when you're aware of those things in him, you become more aware of the absence of those things in yourself. And then when you become more aware of the absence of those things, here's what happens. You begin to despise those parts of yourself that are not Christly. And then in this time of communion with Christ, the things that are unchristly about you, well, they begin to melt away. And there is cultivated in your heart a garden that produces the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This smorgasbord of fruit that your spouse now can consume. But you don't become a great husband and a great wife by trying to be a great husband and a great wife. You try by simply pursuing Christ and the Spirit who abides in you will produce the fruit that they can't get enough of. And so we talk about that in marriage, but I talk about that with you as well because this is what it means to seek first the kingdom. To pursue with all of our hearts, competing with no other earthly pursuit. To pursue the kingdom with everything that is in us. Now, when we do that, the call of simplicity, the life of simplicity is possible. But if we don't do that, so that's where simplicity begins in the heart. It's an interior decision to focus on the singleness of heart, the singleness of one pursuit. But if we don't, it's possible that we become entangled by every other attachment that we have. If we're not focused upon Christ and the kingdom in this world, then we'll become attached to every lesser kingdom and we'll be focused on every lesser pursuit until we feel as if we just can't hold our arms up anymore. Yeah. So Jesus one day is talking about what it costs to follow him. And in the section in the Gospel of Luke, he's talking about the costliness of being a disciple. Does it cost anything to follow Jesus? No, well, it's free. Grace is free. You can't do anything to earn the way that God loves you, but it does cost you something. Some people will despise you and reject you. Some people will turn their backs on you and walk away. And sometimes that could be in your own family. It'll cost you a life of sacrifice. It will mean that you will pick up your cross and follow down the road that he leads. But in the midst of talking about the costliness of being a follower of Jesus, he has this interesting line, this this curious line. (laughs) This is what he says. None of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. (laughs) And the record comes right off the needle, comes right off the record. What a strange thing to say. You can't be my disciple unless you give up all your possessions, which in many ways, there's a certain ridiculousness about that because Jesus has some hard sayings that we struggle to understand because is it, is it required that you give up all your possessions in order to follow Jesus? Well, 
a dig just a little deeper may set us free for what this means. See, uh, Greg Boyd of uh, Woodland Hills Church in Minneapolis is a great theologian and teacher, and he points out something about this phrase, possessions. See, the word possessions comes from a, a, a Greek word, huparko, but huparko means possessions. You can't have any possessions and be my followers. But the, the word huparko is actually made up of two Greek words, hupo, meaning underneath, right? And arko, which means begin. So literally, uh, huparko, possessions in this passage, means to come underneath and to begin something. Now follow me on this. When we own anything, when we have anything at all, it's as if the Greek mind is you come up underneath that thing and you begin something. Well, what is it you begin? You begin ownership. And that ownership is the beginning of a relationship. You're like, well, that sounds ridiculous. Come on, what are you talking about? Well, if you own anything at all, you know you have begun a relationship with that thing. Because some of the things that we own require maintenance. And will require upkeep and energy and attention. And in many ways, Boyd says, when you own something, you are coming underneath that thing and beginning a relationship. And underneath that thing means that the weight of that thing is now on you. And how many things we choose to own determines how many things are under the burden that we carry. And he calls this process, I love it, mining. Like mining. He says, you go up underneath something, and you're like, I like that house. That's mine. I mine it. <laughs> or you go up underneath this car. I really like that car. I'm going to mine it. I like this possession and this material good. And, th and the trouble with this is that you and I, especially in the zip codes in which we live, here's what we'll do. We'll go through life with an arm load of these bottles, an arm load of these burdens, and in order to cope with being overburdened, you know what we do? Uh, Amazon.com. I mean, a little, a little re retail therapy. And so we pick up one more thing. Oh, that'll make us feel good for a little while. And it does. Until then, you got to get it laundered, get its oil changed, clean its filter, whatever you got to do to the thing that you have now mined. And Jesus says, the more you mine things, it's impossible to be my disciple, not because you're not allowed, not because you're not allowed to have stuff and be my disciple, but he points out that the word is dunamis, which is power. You will not have the power to be a single-focused follower of me because your energies will be siphoned off in the maintenance and care of everything else that you've come up underneath to begin a relationship with. <laughs> so now we begin to understand the radical call to relinquish, to set it down because the life of simplicity allows us the freedom to follow Christ with all of our dunamai, all of our, all of our power, all of our energy and strength, right? And if we don't, here's what happens. We'll take on one more thing and another thing and another thing and another thing, thinking that we'll feel better about it and, and we'll feel better about the burdens we carry by picking up more burdens. How crazy is that? And then we get ensnared or entangled with what it takes to keep up the thing that now our life is filled with muchness and manyness, and we are so exhausted. Exhausted not on a physical scale, but exhausted in kind of an existential exhaustion. How do I put this stuff down? So, you know, the Potomac River 
runs through D.C., gorgeous river, and, and it empties into the Chesapeake Bay, which sprawls out into the coast, the Atlantic Ocean. And on up the Potomac, fishers will set up, commercial fishers, uh, recreational fishers, and they'll set up nets, and they'll, they'll catch fish up the narrow channel of the Potomac. A couple years ago, somebody caught an eight-and-a-half-foot bull shark in the Potomac River. I mean, in the narrow channel of the Potomac River, he, he, he's up in a place where he doesn't even belong. This great, amazing predator of the sea belongs in the sea, starts chasing after a meal that looked good to him, found his way into the Chesapeake, and chased it on up into waters where he was not intended to swim, and he gets ensnared or entangled in the nets of the fishers. And in somebody's big trophy now, right? And it's the same with us. It's the same with all of us. If we are not able to relinquish our pursuit of mining everything, of collecting and accumulating, then it's possible that we are ensnared by what it is that we gather, right? See, the discipline of simplicity is about living the unentangled life. The unentangled life. A life that is so free that, yeah, I got some stuff here, and I got some stuff there, and that's really cool stuff here, and I love it. It's great stuff. It's fun stuff. It's pretty stuff. But it doesn't own me. It doesn't own me. Because it's possible for us to lay a hold of something that then turns around and lays a hold of us. And the simplified life, the life of simplicity, is about an interior decision, a pursuit with a singleness of heart that results in an untangled existence where there's a lightness of being and a freedom to say there is one thing that matters and all the other stuff, well, it'll be added. Yeah. So Paul is writing to Timothy, and in 2 Timothy we read these powerful words, share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, military image. No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. And he uses military imagery to say, you and I are in this like, like army of the Lord. <laughs> and if you are a soldier in the army of the Lord, you have one primary job, and that is to please your commanding officer. To so order your life that your pursuit is singularly a chase after the kingdom. Yeah. Or in Hebrews, a powerful passage in Hebrews 12, verse 1, we hear these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This verse, these two verses are so filled with power, but perhaps the most compelling is let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and i love the way that it's phrased let us lay aside every weight that keeps us bogged down in this race unable to run freely but let us also lay aside 
the sin that clings so closely. Fact, the sin that clings so closely to you may be different than the sin that clings so closely to me. And it may be different than the sin that clings so closely to the one that's sitting next to you. But the appeal here is is that you have a race to run. So let us run with perseverance the race that is set before you. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Which means that there must be a deliberate setting aside of the things that actually don't matter. So that we can live freely for the thing, the one thing that does matter. So I learned that in Japan, there is a region in Japan where people live a long time. Like on average, over a hundred years old. This uncanny, this un. The unbelievable percentage of the, the folks in that region live above 100 years old. And so they, social scientists are trying to figure out what that's all about. I mean, is it about what they eat? Is it the exercise? Is it their work style? What is it? It's probably a little bit of all that stuff. But there's one dynamic that seems to emerge as perhaps the most powerful in contributing to life. It's called ikigai. Ikigai is a principle, a way of life that literally is translated that which gets you up in the morning. That's what ikigai means. That thing which gets you up in the morning. Another way to translate it is this way. What matters most? Your reason for being. Your reason for being. If you know what it is that gets you up in the morning, and you have crystal clarity about your reason for being. That's life. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom as your reason for being, and all these things that you've been worrying about, they'll be added. Thomas Merton had something also to say about being able to know what it is you wake up for in the morning. Here's how he put it. Your life is shaped by the end you live for. I mean, just let that kind of marinate for a moment, will you? Your life is shaped by the end you live for. You are made in the image of what you desire. Now, you and I have a basic confession that we're made in the image of God, but you and I also know we can choose lesser gods, can't we? And whatever the God is that we bow down to, we'll be shaped into the image of that God. And Jesus is saying, pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added. Yeah. So how? How do you do it? I mean, if simplicity really is an inward reality that shapes an outward lifestyle, then what do we do about it? Well, I think there are a couple of things. You know, I've said this before many times. I've said that we don't think our way into new ways of being or living we live our way into new ways of thinking. <laughs> because sometimes it takes putting one foot in front of the next until you begin to see this new way of living is shaping my new way of thinking. So let me just give you a, a couple of thoughts on simplifying speech, stuff, and schedules. Now, in good Baptist pastor form, you got alliteration there, Okay. So you got three S's, you can remember. We could go, we could go, you know, 
uh, talk, treasure, time, and we could do that all day. But three areas that I want to talk about can be easily started this week about simplifying your life. The first one, speech. Speech. Here's what I want to say. (laughs) Speak less, say more. Anybody know somebody who, when you're with them, they don't talk much, they don't say much, but man, when they do, you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Hello, welcome. Somebody who's like E.F. Hutton, remember when they speak, everybody can listen. But we also know the other guy who won't stop blabbering, and yet by the end of their sermon, you wonder what they've said. Just in case you're wondering, in some places, sermons go a long time, you know. The trouble is, not everybody has to know what you think. You can have an opinion, but nobody needs, they don't, you don't have to say everything that's on your mind. And here's a newsflash, sometimes nobody wants to know, especially on Facebook. Okay, here's what you're doing. Here's the trouble. We'll post something on Facebook, and in the economy of words, when we have a singleness of pursuit, pursuing the kingdom and only the kingdom, here's what happens. We spend our energy, you know, we'll go off, we'll we'll rant on something on Facebook, but then here's the problem. Then somebody else rants about our rant. And now you got to react and defend the rant you had that they're ranting now against, and then everybody you hadn't talked to since high school is now chiming in on your rant, and now all this energy, and you no longer have the dunamai, you no longer have the dunamis, the, the power to do the things that you're meant to do because you're wasting all this time with this, right? Sometimes the discipline of silence can create a space for the simplicity that will unclutter our lives. You know, the Proverbs are filled with images like this, They said that wise people often know a lot more than they speak. Foolish people often speak a lot more than they know. But I love Abraham Lincoln's proverb. He said, look, sometimes it's better to be quiet and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. (laughs) When the kids were little, we, we tried to teach them. When they were really little, look, God made you with two ears and one mouth so that you listen twice as much as you talk and and then we would say listen they're heated they're they're getting worked up about something arguing about something listen i want you right now take a deep breath and i want you to think twice and speak once one time when i was arguing with laura i tried that on her (laughs) lord jesus keep me near the cross i don't recommend that uh, gentlemen but The truth is, if we can practice the spiritual discipline of keeping our yapper shut, it's possible that we might find a space in the silence to unclutter what fills the heart and mind and crowds out anything that is kingdom-oriented. The discipline of silence. Simplicity in our speech. Yeah, we could try that thing. The other thing is simplicity in our stuff. Simplicity in our stuff. Now, like I said before, in our region of the world, in particular our region of the state, this is an area where we could use some help. And Richard Foster, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, he lists like 10 really good examples or ideas about how to simplify your life when it comes to our possessions. 
so that our possessions don't possess us. But I just want to use one, and it's this. One secret to simplifying your stuff and the relationship you have with mining stuff is to give stuff away. And I don't, I don't just mean the once or twice a year when we gather stuff and we declutter the closet and take it down to Goodwill. That's a great thing to do too, so let's do it. Don't let up on that. It's good to declutter the closet. But I'm talking about how do you declutter the closet of the heart by learning to give away things that actually mean something to you. I mean, not just because they're out of style or after COVID, they don't fit the same. I'm talking about, is there something that was given to you and you value it, you treasure it, and yet you realize if I gave it to so-and-so, that would mean the world to them. And it would be an expression of my attempt to relinquish in such a way that I am not owned by the thing I value. Give stuff away. So yeah, we, we simplify in our speech and we simplify in our stuff, but maybe the hardest for us is to simplify in our schedule. I've said this before. I've used the Dallas Willard um, phrase ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life you know what this means in layman's terms it means you don't have to say yes to everything it means you don't have to accept every invitation to every good event they may be all good events and you may love every single one of the folks who asked you to put something on your calendar and it may be worthy of your time one at a time but the culmination the accumulation of all the things at one time become untenable and then you end up with this like i said this existential exhaustion you don't have to do everything so ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life because when you create space on your calendar for solitude, for prayer, for worship, for reflection, for study, for fellowship with people to lift one another up. When you create space in your calendar for those things, you are practicing an outward demonstration of what you now know is your interior singular pursuit, which is the things of this kingdom. Now, in my preparation for this message, I came across the writings of Thomas Kelly. Thomas Kelly wrote about his concern with how our technology has increased in such a way as to make us almost, well, crazy. And we are so tugged in one direction and the other. Remember, remember Stretch Armstrong? Remember the old toy and you could stretch, 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 stretch? And it was promised that it wouldn't break, right? We broke ours. And all kinds of jelly and nasty things came out. That's what happens when you are stretched too far. All the nasty comes out. And the truth is, in the technological age in which we live, it becomes more and more challenging. And I, I haven't found a writing as beautiful as this in some time in regard to the call to the simple life. A call to simplify and unclutter the heart. Listen to what he says. The mark of this spiritual, the mark of this simplified life, how about I start over? The mark of this simplified life is radiant joy. Knowing sorrow to its depths, it does not agonize and fret and strain, but in serene, unhurried calm, 
It walks in time with the joy and assurance of eternity. Knowing fully the complexity of human problems, it, it cuts through to the love of God and ever cleaves to Him. It, it binds all obedient souls together in fellowship, in the fellowship of humility and simple adoration of the one who is all in all. This amazing simplification, this discipline of simplicity comes when we are centered down, when life is lived with singleness of eye, from a holy center where the breath and stillness of eternity are heavy upon us and we are wholly yielded to Him. Some of you know this holy, recreating center of eternal peace and joy and live in it day and night. Some of you may see it over the margin and, and wistfully long to slip into that amazing center where the soul is at home with God. Be very faithful to that wistful longing. It is the eternal goodness calling you to return home to feed upon green pastures and walk beside still waters and live in the peace of the shepherd's presence. It is the life beyond strain, beyond fevered strain. We are called beyond strain to peace and power and joy and love and the thorough abandonment of self. We are called to put our hands trustingly in the high hand, the his hand, and walk the holy way in no anxiety, assuredly resting in Him. My Lord, does that sound like an invitation or what? It sounds such, like such good news that there might be something beyond what we are currently carrying and living and experiencing, just beyond, as he says, maybe you're wistfully longing for that thing on the other side of complexity on the other side of difficulty. But what if you could have it in the midst of complexity? What if you could have authentic simplicity in the midst of the difficulties? The good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is that you can if you fix your eyes upon him and pursue with all of your might the kingdom and his righteousness. And there may be somebody listening to what I'm saying and you've never done that. And I want you to know that it's a journey that never ends. None of us have completely arrived. But to begin your journey, I want to encourage you, if you've never prayed like this, to simply lift a prayer in your heart that sounds like this. God, I am tired. And, and I know so very little about how to rescue myself. But of the things that I know, I know this. I am out of options. I've come to the end of myself. And I've carried things for far too long. And I just, I want a place to put them. And if you'll let me put them at your feet, well, then here I am. I yield myself wholly and completely before you. And I, I pray that you will forgive me of my sins, the sin that clings so closely. And I pray that you would empower me, God, to, to lay down every burden that keeps me from running after you. And if you do that, then I will follow you wherever it is that you go. 
and you can bring on the storms, you can bring the rain, you can bring the floods and the winds because I know that you will be with me in the midst of the storm. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now friends, that, that prayer you may have prayed today for the very first time. It might be that you're here and you prayed it. Maybe you're at home and you prayed it. And we want you to know that when you pray it, that's the beginning of a journey, not the end. So at home, I want you to email us and let us know that you began a prayer. We're going to talk to you about that. We'll meet you where you are and take the next step. But if you're in the Family Life Center or the sanctuary, you'll see the pastors gathering at the front or to the left of your room where you're in. And we're, we're hoping at the end of this benediction that you will come and talk to us about whatever the stirring is in your heart. It's put there by God, and maybe together we can discern what it means. But now, as you are able, in the Sanctuary and Family Life Center, I ask that you stand to your feet, because now we depart, but we depart empowered as a community of faith strengthened by the presence of Jesus Christ. So our prayer is this, that Christ would go before you preparing your way that Christ would go behind you on the days when you fear and feel like retreating to encourage you one step further at a time may Christ go to your right and Christ to your left abiding closer than even a sister or a brother may Christ go beneath you girding you with confidence and removing all forms of fear May Christ go above you on the days when dark clouds roll in to remind you there is one above the clouds who at the end of the day has the final word. But mostly, may Christ go in you, transforming you from the inside out until your hearts beat in rhythm with his. Go in peace.